This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. Hey, what is up, everybody? Jeremy here. Guys, I'm very excited for today's interview because I feel like it's kind of more pertinent than ever, especially with a lot of the things we have going on globally with the economy and inflation, which apparently was transitory, but now it's not. And now it is again. So it's kind of interesting, a lot of what's going on out there. Our guest today is Stephen Flood, and he is the CEO of Goldcore, which is launching here in the USA as well. So I'm excited for that. And we're going to talk about all things gold, building value, and the hedge to inflation. Steve, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. It's great to be here, Jeremy. So I, I wanted to find out first and foremost, you know, how did you get into the gold and silver world? How did that happen for you? Well, I'd like to say it was preordained, but it was by absolute accident. My good friend, Marco Byrne, who I went to school with, started the company back in 2003. I had have been working in Wall Street for a number of years up to that point, returned back to my home country, Ireland, and to Dublin with my new wife. And we set up home. My, my family's going- from Sligo, by the way. Oh, fantastic. What a beautiful part of the world. Oh my God. Very special. Yates country, they call it. But yeah, so we set up there. Mark was looking for a partner. I knew quite a lot about you know technology, financial technology, trading. So yeah, we joined together and we set up Goldcore and we grew the business You know, one client at a time in a time where there was no real bullion dealers in, in Ireland and inflation, sorry, money printing was really beginning to take off. Like we were beginning to see the destabilization of our economies through just money printing. And Mark was an expert in kind of monetary history. And he knew, he knew exactly what gold's role was to the man on the street. And we have a term we use now, it's called financial, sorry, personal sovereignty. So when you own gold, you've got personal sovereignty over your finances. You're not dependent on the system. So we've been in business now, I think it's 18 years. This is incredible when I think about it because I don't feel that old, but obviously <laughs> I'm a little bit older than and I look, I like to think. <laughs> well, the thing I wanted to figure out first and foremost, because I think one of the thing that I like is you said that you know gold is kind of that thing for the everyday person to give us sovereignty. But I think the the financial system as a whole isn't built for the everyday person, right? They have a lot of terms they use to confuse people, you know, like quantitative easing. What that actually means, they're printing more money. Like there's a lot of terms that they use that just confuse the heck out of the consumer. And I guess like taking a look at it as a consumer, what are kind of those first steps we take to educate ourselves so we don't feel so lost and confused and kind of stuck in this system? Well, the first thing to do is not to panic. You have a lot more control over your life and where you're going than you probably think. And in order to get there, you need to educate yourself. I mean, I know people say, oh, educate yourself. Really educate yourself. You need to get read up on what it is to manage money. There's just a few things you need to do, right? And you'll probably come out the right side. Most people, the biggest problem they have is themselves, their lack of belief. They self-sabotage. They get excuses. They find all sorts of reasons why not to take action. So you need to get educated. You need to get a plan. You need to discuss it with people you trust. And you need to believe in yourself and back yourself. Mm. And you do those things, you're going to come out the right side of most situations. 
what are the resources you reach out to for education as well? Because also like a lot of the information that as the consumer we're taught, like aren't really things that give us control over like financial stability as well, right? Like even the banking system, the way it's set up, you know, like a lot of us think the Federal Reserve is not federal and doesn't have reserves, right? So like we have a lot of the Bank of International Settlements, which is above that and things like that. So I guess for the consumer, where's the right place to get information or what resources do you study in order to learn? Well, you know, I'm really fortunate. I'm really, really fortunate. As I said before, like I've worked in financial markets for many, many years and I have a lot of friends in them. But probably the biggest source of information for me is my clients, the people mm-hmm. I talk to every day. And these are amazing people. They are just incredible. And they're all from all walks of life. But what I've learned an awful lot is, is that they tend to be very worldly. They have a healthy degree of skepticism. They don't mm-hmm. believe what they see or hear on TV you know, at first. They are, they're going to ask questions about it. They are almost all educated when it comes to history. So understanding monetary history, understanding history generally, it's not taught in schools like it used to be, and a terrible shame. You need to look back in time and look at what's happened in the past, and you're going to find every mistake that's happening today, you know, in Washington and Wall Street, all of these things have happened before many times over, and they all end the same way. The little guy pays the bill at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. So I would say my biggest source of information is my clients. I do read all the major newspapers. I read a lot of opinion pieces. I tend to also read very carefully sources that don't necessarily agree with my politics. Mm -hmm. I like to go to the other side and I like to actually, you know, really get into what they're saying. And I like to challenge myself because I'm going to change my opinion when the facts change and I'm not married to any one thing. And I'm always looking to test myself. And that's really good. You have to have a humility about you as well. Mm You know, that's really interesting too. And I want to go back to the point about Washington too, because I feel like in the US, we tend to have this idea of like how important like US capital markets and stuff are. But let me ask you this, like if we're on the global, the kind of the global playing field, is the US capital market really as important as we make it out to be? Or I guess, what does that look like on the world stage? Yeah, America definitely still leads to a huge degree in terms of its creativity. Some of its champions, its industry champions are really second to none in the world. I think that's held all the way through since, you know, arguably World War One, World War Two. You know, a lot of our technology we take for granted today comes from American companies. So we, we used America still has that incredible creative, you know, nest for ideas and it has the capital markets to allow good ideas to be exploited and used and developed. So I think that's a wonderful thing. And I don't see that changing. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great thing for everybody and right across the world. I do think though that the monetary system that has underpinned America's strength is massively under stress now and is very questionable whether it's going to be in place in the next 10 to 15 years. I think it's going to be challenged heavily by China. My own feeling is is that China is getting ready to launch a global currency. It's going to be gold-backed or a lot more gold-backed than anything we've seen recently. And I think they've been accumulating gold. They're going to make it digital, so it's really easy to trade. I think they're going to get a lot of headwinds from places like Europe who have you know, who like the idea of being independent of America and other places. And they've tried to do a lot of work in that area. So America ha- is, has fallen behind in some ways. Monetarily, it's under a lot of pressure. It's been abused by this current, and I'm not getting political here, both mm-hmm. Republican and Democrat have mm-hmm. massively abused the system by printing money that they didn't have. Well, if you look um, at every president since, you know, Bush in 2001, like we've taken on more debt as a country since 2001 than I believe we have in, in every year combined before that. Yeah. I don't have that number in front of me, but I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, it is incredible. And it, this happens in the end of all empires. You mm-hmm. know, the leaders, they put themselves forward on the basis of making promises with tomorrow's money. 
that they mm -hmm. use today because they don't have to live with the consequences. And it's not necessarily they're doing it on purpose themselves. They're part of a system that is corrupt. I mean, if you look at this, there's a term called regulatory capture. I don't know if you've come across this. Yes, I have. It's means. we're seeing this a lot in like pharmaceuticals and stuff like that, where a lot it's a revolving door where they're in government, they're in the company, they're in government, they're in the company. It's we're seeing this in Wall Street. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, Janet Yellen, you know, she was hailed as a great Fed chair, left, went public, toured around, did a lot of talks, made $7 million for herself, and then came back in and became the Secretary of Treasury. Now, I'm not saying that she's a criminal or anything like that. What I'm saying is there's a kind of a skewed uh, sense of responsibility there. If you think that those people who pay you to speak are also the people you're supposed to be regulating, when you leave office, you're going to want to be in their good books so you mm -hmm. can make another 10 or 20 million afterwards. So you're going to be less likely, I think, as a human being to really prosecute your brief, to actually do your job for the good of all the people. You'll try to find a compromise where possible, but compromise is not good enough when you're a regulator of one of the biggest capital markets in the world. You have to be absolutely stoic. You have to be powerful and feared, and you have to go to bat for the little guy. And that's not happening. They're doing the bare minimum in order to you know, feather their own nest. And I was really sickened when I heard about an awful lot of Fed executives who trade the markets mm -hmm. actively, millions of dollars doing so. And this was kind of only raised as a big, you know, big story recently, but it's been going on for years. I think mm -hmm. it's shocking, absolutely shocking. And it's interesting too, because like looking at, I think last year there was talk that Judy Shelton, who's a big gold bug, could end up back on the board of governors for the Fed. And I think there's a real hesitance for the Federal Reserve to try and get back on a gold standard if that's ever even possible. I think at this point in time, there may not be enough gold to back up all the fake value they've created. So I guess like looking at that, like first off, how broken is this system, Stephen? And then I guess how does gold fit in with kind of giving us some, you know, a leg to stand on as the consumer? How broken is it? I mean, it's easy to kind of say that, you know, it's all bad. It's not all bad. There's an awful mm -hmm. lot of really cool things that are happening in our economies. You know, you're seeing it across a lot of different sectors you know, in terms of living standards in many cases have gone up, but there's an awful lot of people who have been left behind who aren't actually part of this new kind of IT driven economy. And, you know, by virtue of not having been educated, not living in cities that have good education or job prospects. And it's important that all the boats are allowed to rise as well. And that's not happening. So we're having a huge wealth gap between those who have assets and who have seen their asset prices rise, which is you know, the 1% they talk about, and mm -hmm. those who rent their homes and who take salaries and don't have assets that see that benefit. So I think if that happens, I think you're going to find that there's going to be a lot of social discord and problems coming up. And you're seeing that in the politics. You're seeing that yeah. lack of overlap between the big parties. And unless they get a handle on this, and it's actually really important that they do, you could see a kind of a slow motion civil war maybe even a financial civil war where Republicans go to Republican red states and Democrats, you know, go to blue states. And mm -hmm. then they, you know, you might even worst case find a state seceding from the federal system, uh, which would be unbelievable. But that could happen in the next 10 years. You can see that in Florida or Texas. I know loads of people are moving it's out of California. Quite interesting because you look at California has been falling apart and the state of Florida for the first time in a number of years, I don't remember the last, the actual year it started, has just went over more registered Republicans and registered Democrats. So it's we're seeing this happen. There was a book I read not long ago by Vivek Ramaswani, and it's called uh, Woke Inc. And it's about woke capitalism and things like that. And he said, one of the things that we're looking at 
is you look at a lot of these different sectors of the country and we're seeing just what you said, where people are, you know, okay, this is a Democrat area, this is a Republican area. They are kind of situating themselves that way. And it is interesting how that affects economics, right? Because you look at a place like California and they're losing a lot of business, right? Like Tesla's leaving, companies are leaving, and they're going to other states. And that does really affect the economics of it. It does. So where does it go? I think unless they actually start to address this full on, head on, it's going to continue. And the trend is not good. And that will manifest in many different ways. And I don't know exactly what the timeline is, but it looks like it's getting worse all the time. We look at the rhetoric over there in the United States, and it's vitriolic. It really is. There's no overlap anymore. There's no kind of flag waving, you know, common sense of responsibility. And I don't know where it's going to go, really. It's very, very worrisome. But I do think ultimately, no matter where it goes, you know, it brings it back to what we do. And we have loads of US clients. We just set up an office now in California, which is fantastic. We're really excited about. And we're beginning to cater to those US clients. And we're having these conversations every day. They're telling us that they're moving states. And this is one of the reasons they're buying gold is because they're not of an uncertain future. I guess when we're looking at that, like when the consumer's hearing this, like let's say they're not invested in gold, right? There's somebody that's new to this. Like what type of assets they start buying? Like how much do they start buying as well? Like what percentage of your income do you put into gold? Like what does that look like? You know, it's really interesting. There's an awful lot of the gold market in the United States is quite different than in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. In other parts of the world, we have customers in 140 countries. Like we've built up a big book of business over the last 18 years. And we manage around $300 million in assets at this stage, which is a fantastic achievement, but it's also a huge responsibility. But a lot of our clients, what we were designed to do is try to get them the maximum value to the customer. So we try to get them the most amount of gold for their money. But in the United States, what you have is an awful lot of people who get sold products that would maybe have, you know, might be numismatics. There's nothing wrong with a numismatic, which is a rare coin, and it tends to have quite an expensive premium over Mm -hmm. the spot gold content. Mm. And it's a so it's more of a collectible rather than just buying bullion. Yeah, it's a specialist area, but it's also highly profitable for those who are in that business. And you have to know what you're about before you go into that market. But I do think an awful lot of our U.S. clients tell us a lot of people in the states get sold these products when it's not really appropriate for them. They're not specialists. They're not collectors. They don't know what the prices are, but they get attracted in on some really great deal. And then they get switched into something that's quite expensive and probably inappropriate. Our whole approach to this is we try to get the most amount of gold into the client's hands for the least amount of money, least amount of premium. So we make a little less, but we usually the client knows that we're working for them. We're going to bat for them and they're going to stay a client for an awful long time. And then they send in their friends and family. And that's how we actually win and have grown our book. So in terms of like storing up the value of it, like how does that work over time? Like how much of my income should be putting in the gold? How much should I have saved? Where should I have it saved? Like, I guess where's a safe place to put it? Like what are these things I should be considering? I'm going to say, this sounds really, really crazy. Okay. A really good client, a gold client will buy gold and hope that they lose money. They hope that the gold they put, they buy today will go down in value. And if it does go down in value, that's a good thing. Sounds really counterintuitive. Why well, it's because the dollar would be holding value, correct? Well, not quite the dollar. The dollar okay. and everything else in their portfolio. Okay. Gold's best place is as diversification. So maybe say 10% is a good kind of rule of thumb. If you put 10% of your money into gold and it's going down, the factors that are pushing it down are pushing the other 90% up. That's a good day out. That's a great portfolio return. But what you don't want is 
your gold rising with your equities and your bonds at the same time. Then you have a positive correlation. All those assets will rise together and fall together. And that's, you're not diversified then. So by having gold, it should save your ass when the markets tank. When everything mm -hmm. starts to go and there's down and there's blood on the streets, all the other guys who live on your road in your apartment block, they're all in on the market. Market goes down 50%. They're looking at the next 50% going down. And mm -hmm. they're thinking they're going to get wiped out. They're frightened. They're terrified. They sell at the worst time. They've lost their heads. The guy who owns gold, that 10%, yeah, he's down 50% in his equities, but he's up to, you know 50% on his gold. He's got something back. He knows he's never going to wipe, get wiped out. That changes the mentality of that investor. And what mm -hmm. that means is that he'll be able to pick up assets at a bargain when everyone else is selling theirs because they're terrified. That is exactly what gold's role is. It's to quell that human emotion where you're not really thinking straight. And I guess like looking at it and how does that fit in with the idea, we've kind of discussed it a little bit, but how does that fit in with the idea of like personal sovereignty? Like how does having that 10% in gold, how does that help us with personal sovereignty? Yeah. I mean, it basically, by having that gold, you're outside of the system. Now, you can have proxy gold, what I call proxy gold, which is ETFs. They're really easy. You can buy them on your phone in two and a half seconds. They're a proxy of gold. You don't actually own the gold. You own a share in an entity that owns gold. But that entity is indemnified should anything go wrong. So if anything gets stolen or something goes wrong or gets lost or someone's whatever happens, you may not get your gold back. It's unlikely, mm -hmm. but you may not. But you need to hold your gold. You need to own that physical thing. You need it outside of the financial system. You need as few middlemen as possible between you and it because the value of gold is actually in its accessibility, in its liquidity, in its ability to sell it to you or to somebody else whenever you want to. You need to store that gold in a designated vault that is segregated and allocated. And that means that it's segregated from everybody else's gold so in Goldcore's case, we have uh, vaults in Dublin, London, Zurich. We have it in Toronto, New York, Utah, Texas, Delaware. And everywhere there we have gold, it's all segregated out so that your gold stays in a box and it's an account number and you can log in and see your gold balance there 24-7 and know that it's there. We can ship it out to you within a matter of a day or two, out to you whenever you want it. But you could also have some gold in your own person at home and have some there, it's unlikely, but what if the financial system completely collapses and there's no ATM machines, there's no access to cash? It's highly unlikely, but that will make you feel better just knowing you have something to get your hands on. But the majority of it needs segregated, allocated storage in a proper designated vault. You know, what's interesting is gold's that hedge for a long time, right? It's been that thing that it's been something that's been agreed on monetary for a very long time, but we've seen in the last 10 years, Stephen, the rise of cryptos. And I don't know what it is about it, man. I'm just not sold on the idea because here's the way I look at it, right? Yeah. We don't know who created it, right? Everything gets written down somewhere and, you know, the government has access to it to tax it electronically and things like that. Like, to me, that's really worrisome. Like, it's really worrisome. Yeah. And I worry about like, am I, you know, more at effect by you know, like investing in cryptos. Personally, I put no money into cryptos because I just don't trust it. And I guess like, is this a new way to hedge ourselves or is kind of gold still the standard? Yeah, no, gold is absolutely the standard. I would not get distracted with cryptos. There's some really interesting things there from a technology point of view in terms of capabilities that we didn't have before. And blockchain, which is behind a lot of these cryptos, is in fact a world-changing event. Mm -hmm. We will look back, I think, my belief is, that the advent of blockchain is almost like the invention of the wheel. It yeah. is that big. It's going to unleash an enormous amount of computational power to change all our lives. 
Um, well, that that part of it's incredible too, because I know even like, you know, looking at the NFTs or the non-fungible tokens, like I think some of the things that have been done with them are cool. But then there's other parts that I see people on like Facebook saying, hey, look at this emoji I just paid $14,000 for. I'm like, I wouldn't pay $14,000 for your stupid emoji. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. Warren Buffett says before he goes and invests in something, it has to be simple and understandable. Yep. Well, there's nothing simple about that. And it's certainly not understandable. So trust your gut. Always trust your gut. And yeah, I wouldn't get distracted by it. Right now, we're in a, a negative interest rate environment. Americans are losing about 5% on their money per annum at the moment with inflation, if you take it into account. It's shocking. This is, you are being taxed after you paid your taxes mm-hmm. on your money that's in your bank account. That is utterly illegal. This is why the Boston Tea Party happened. This is why they threw the tea overboard because the King of England was taxing you again. Well, people, you're getting taxed again and it's not right. You need to you know, have another revolution, I think. So I think once you have a negative interest rate environment, everything that's shiny looks good. Anything mm-hmm. with a yield, you go for. So there's an acronym used in the financial markets called TINA. There is no alternative. So you have to take ridiculous risks in order to make any kind of money back. And that's why you're seeing these crazy stock market valuations, why you're seeing crazy property market bubbles, and you're seeing lunacy in the crypto markets. And a load of, I have to call it, shysters who are selling this stuff to gullible people who have no financial education. And so, yeah, fools and their money. You know, these things are, yeah, it's going to be looked back. It's going to be a chapter in an MBA thesis someday. They look back at this final stages of this monetary experiment called QE and where people lost their heads and they were putting ridiculous money into things of flipping doge coins. I mean, what is that? It's ridiculous. There's no utility. Go buy a proper stock if you're going to do something, but it has a dividend and a proper balance sheet. You know. I heard Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports talking about the Dogecoin. He's like, I don't even think anybody knows how to pronounce it. Is it Doge? Is it is it Doggy? Like, how do you even like? It's wild to me because one of the things I've always like looked at investing in. It's why I'm invested in gold. I'm invested in silver. I'm invested in whole life insurance. Like, I'm invested in things that are simple and easy for me to understand. Jeremy, if it's complicated, I'm just not comfortable. In, but you know, you're you're actually the biggest investment is yourself. You spend a huge amount of time furthering yourself, educating yourself, and building your own brand, building your own business. And that's where you spend your time. Time is the most valuable thing you have. It's better than any money, anything like that. We only have one life. So spend it wisely. The only constant is time. The only choice is how you spend it. And that's it. There's nothing else. I think this is just because we have negative interest rates. If you could get 5% on your money, do you think those flows would end up in crypto? No. No. And the thing about crypto is most people haven't a clue what it is. They don't use it as a currency, blockchain or Bitcoin in particular. They don't use it as a currency. They don't buy stuff for it. It's absolutely and utterly a Ponzi scheme. And it's, it's going to end one way in tears. It doesn't even stand in the room with gold. It's so not gold. It's completely unrelated. So I guess, where do you see the value of gold going in the next six to 12 months? Because the economy is getting a little bit crazy. I know they're talking about an infrastructure bill here, but then you have, you know, Joe Manchin's like, I don't really trust investing in it. And so, you know, the economy is on very shaky ground. Where do you see gold going in the next, let's say, year? Well, I'd say it's interesting, kind of a thought experiment. Is gold going up or are currencies going down? Mm-hmm. You know, when they print dollars and gold goes up 10%, is gold actually gone anywhere or is it just the same? Gold tends to reflect the monetary base in many respects. It tends to track inflation. So there's been studies done on this, you know, during the 1929 stock market crash and the Great Depression. You know, sometimes the monetary system broke away from gold's value and was far in excess, but eventually it collapsed or, and gold grew as people went to it. And then the line, they crossed lines again. So the value of gold could exceed 
momentarily the actual value of the entire monetary system. So you could see gold being exceedingly you know, high, going much going like a hockey stick, and it might then drop down again. But again, I think it's actually its best role is as part of a diversified portfolio. That's really where it's, what its function is. I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious about putting everything into gold. I have clients right. who have an awful lot in gold, but they're retired. They are retired people. They are out of the system. They're saying the monetary system is a piece of, you know, I don't need to have that risk. I'm going to live for the next 30 years. I take my, you know, 70, 100 grand a year. That pays for all my bills, gives me a nice life to go on holiday. I don't need anything else. That's okay. But for everyone else younger who is working, I think you need to have an allocation, healthy allocation. So I do think it's going to go up an awful lot higher. I think this current financial system, or, sorry, where we are right now, I think it's going to get an awful lot worse in the next few years. You can <laughs> see it right now. The stock market is absolutely crazy. Like it's lunacy. You're seeing stocks that have three and 400 PEs. A three or 400 PE means that the stock price today, the earnings of that stock will take 400 years of today's earnings to pay you back the price of one share. Wow. 400 years. That's what price earnings means. And that's completely crazy. Yeah. So I think we're going to have a, where these bubbles are going to burst at some point. They could go higher before that happens. But I think gold will be that kind of that safety net for investors. You absolutely need to hold a physical, you need to hold it in storage, and you need to hold it as part of a diversified portfolio. You know, talking about those bubbles bursting, the last time I had seen this stat was in April. I haven't looked it up recently, but looking at, you know, M1, M2 money supply, the Fed actually took those numbers off their website in May. So that you can no longer see on the website what's in circulation from M1 and M2 money supply. And yeah. I believe this was in April. So I don't know what it's at now, but it was 40% of the dollars in circulation were printed after January 1st of this year. So like that's kind of a scary thought from an inflation perspective. And I know even we had kind of started before we started recording here, talk about Jerome Powell at the Fed, is they had originally said this inflation we're seeing is transitory, right? The consumer price index is out of control. You know, we're big Costco shoppers. So I tend to buy like, you know, I love bacon and I feel like everybody should have their bacon. I buy it in giant packs at Costco. That pack last year that cost me $9.99 is almost 30 bucks now. So it's like, yeah. you know, inflation is out of control and they've actually removed the word transitory now for what they were telling people. Oh, it was transitory inflation. So like you're saying, like it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. So you need to have a leg to stand on. And that's where gold fits into this. Well, on our Goldcore TV, our YouTube channel, which is where we interview an awful lot of really, really cool people. And we talk about these very, very topics. We had uh, Karen DiMartino Booth on. She's an ex-Fed executive, an analyst there for nine years. Like this woman knows her stuff. She's incredibly impressive. And she just talked about this at, a, at an interview we just did with her. And it was released yesterday where she was talking about pork and the value of it, the price of it going up. This is real. This is going to hit people in the pockets. What happens is basically people cop on. Right now, they're getting a lot of cash thrown at them. They have a lot of savings because they couldn't go out. But suddenly they see that the cost of living is going to exceed the, co the, the amount of income that they have. They're mm -hmm. not going to buy that car. They're not going to go on that holiday. They're not going to buy that TV. They're not going to go to the restaurant. And suddenly their consumer patterns change. And then that then knocks on into other things in the economy. And those restaurants start closing down. People lose their job. And it gets even worse again. People start really saving, knuckling down. And you lose confidence. This is where inflation goes. They know this. There's nothing new in this. It's happened a thousand times before. But they're in a corner. There's so much debt issued now. They have to keep rates really, really low, interest rates low. And so inflation can roar now. The answer to inflation is to increase interest rates and you dampen down the speed of the economy. And then that calms things down and you give people time to adjust. Right now, they can't increase interest rates without blowing up Wall Street. And mm -hmm. Wall Street owns 
Ed owns the government, 100%. So we're in a very, very dangerous, dangerous place. And also by printing money, they've exported inflation right around the world. So a lot of these poor countries are going to get a lot poorer over the next two or three years. And we're going to have political problems and wars and all sorts of horrible things happening and a real human cost to these. will have to be defined. You know, you have to say it. these are criminal policies. Absolutely well, I don't criminal. think it's considered, too, because, you know, you and I were talking about the net worth of Jerome Powell was, I didn't realize this, in excess of $100 million. I don't think this is something that these guys consider because you also look at when the Fed was buying up treasury debt last year. Jerome Powell was one of the biggest holders of those bonds that the Fed was buying. It's kind of like they don't consider what the everyday person needs and wants because they're so far removed from it. I would say to people watching this, it's easy to personalize things and say, Jerome Powell, he's the guy who's doing it, he's the bad guy. He's not. He's the guy he's right now. Out, well, he's not out to hurt people, I don't think. I'm just going to project that. Right. It's the system that is wrong. Yes. The system is corrupt. And the system is what people voted for. People get the government that they deserve. Mm-hmm. So you need to be careful who you vote for. You need to understand what the policies are. You need to get into the nitty gritty. And you need to take responsibility for the guy you put in, in there. And you need to get active. You need to get out there and protest. And you need to go door to door. And you need to, you know, to hustle and take responsibility for the government that you have and the system that they put in place because it's your system, your government. And if you don't, then the bad guy wins. Yeah. Well, well, Stephen, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We mentioned here in the beginning, you know, you guys have been in Europe for a really long time, but you are now opening an office here in California. You guys have been going for a bit and you have a really great thing for people to check out, uh, which they can find oh, yeah. over at goldenusa.com. So tell us what we can find over there and where we can check you guys out. In 18 years, we've learned how to deliver outstanding customer service. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy and stuff like that, but it is the truth. We have like an almost five-star rating from like, I think it's 1,200 client ratings now over the last 10 years. And they are all real and legitimate. So what we've done is we've put together a checklist of what you need, the questions you need to ask and understand before you go into the gold market. Because if you don't get prepared, you might get fleeced, you might be hurt. There are ways of doing it as with anything. If you're going out looking for a car, there's things that you need to do and check. Uh, if you're going out buying, for gold, buying gold, you need to do things as well. So that we've got a checklist of things that we've learned over the last 18 years. It's free. It's on the site. We named it after one of our most incredible performers, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA song, which we love. We've called it goldintheusa.com. So go to goldintheusa.com, download the checklist, the gold buyer's checklist, and, you know, whatever you do, even if you don't come back to Goldcore, that's cool. Use this checklist to help you make better decisions and you're going to have better outcomes and then everyone wins. Very cool. Well, goldintheusa.com. Stephen Flood, the CEO of Goldcore, thank you so much for coming on today. I really think we gave people a lot of great information to be aware of and why gold should be a, you know, a portion of their portfolio. So thank you so much for hanging out with me today, my friend. Such an honor. And thank you so much, uh, Jeremy. I really, really appreciate it.